Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of A Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success, or you're already smashing it, but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS, and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. I'm really excited to be joined today by Bevis Moynan. Uh, he's from Magenta Coaching Solutions, and he's an absolutely fantastic NLP specialist. He trains people how to do it and coaches as well. I really hope you enjoy today's episode as much as we did recording it. And if you did, please do share it with your friends. Thank you. The red light is rolling, and I've just had the nice lady tell me that recording is in progress, which is amazing. Uh, I'm joined today by Bevis who is an absolute star and heads up Magenta Coaching Solutions. And I'm going to get him to introduce himself in a moment, but I'm going to take a little bit of a moment to tell you a bit more about Bevis. So I met Bevis probably two years ago, I think, uh, networking in Peterborough, business networking, and have followed his work. I've heard him uh, speak about speaking, speak about uh, NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming, which is uh, an amazing, amazing thing, which I've been on a bit of a journey with myself and has helped me to really shape the podcast into, into what it is now, uh, as well as hopefully the way I communicate and and, and manage things as well, as, as well as my, my career and the business. So, uh, very, very much shaped those uh, those things for me. But also, I recently recorded a podcast around like six small, six quick tips or easy steps for influence. So, and I've had some really, really good feedback from uh, from the listeners, from yourselves who are listening. And actually, really, this is Bevis's bag. This is this is really his thing. So, I'm just going to ask you to introduce yourself, Bevis, after I've waffled on for a couple of minutes. Um, but essentially, we're going to be expanding on those concepts around influence and how we can do that. And, and also around ourselves as well. I've had some fantastic uh, posts on Facebook, which I've done recently into the community with different transport managers and had some feedback that Bevis and I are going to look at as well. So it's going to be a really, really interesting podcast. But in the meantime, over to you, Bevis. Introduce yourself, please, to the listeners. Oh, thank you, Pete. Firstly, thank you for the the, uh, the really warm intro. Uh, I'd expect nothing more from you. Um, so, so yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, it's been a real pleasure, um, obviously, firstly meeting you and then working with you over the last couple of years, which has been, been lovely. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, I'm it's always funny introducing yourself. How do you how do you do that these days? We often talk about what we do. So I will reference that. So I'm an NLP trainer. So we train people in neuro-linguistic neuro programming. And surprisingly, the people we train aren't always people who want to be coaches or consultants. They're often people who just want to improve their level of influence as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, um, as a teacher, uh, as a manager. So people who want to improve their level of influence is kind of, that's a bit of, like say, our, our bag. Um, but we also train something called motivational mapping, which is a tool which helps people understand what motivates them in their career, a career coaching or consulting tool. So we do a lot of work with people to help them navigate it, it, themselves towards a more fulfilling career. Um, and then there's a personal side of stuff that, that we do as well, one-to-one, -one, where we help people one-to-one -one, uh, with coaching um, to help them achieve, yeah, to achieve a fulfilled life, which involves career, family, the whole lot, right? So, so yeah, and, and of course, like everybody, I've been a bit on a bit of a journey myself, found myself on a personal development course in 2008, wasn't sure why I was there, and have been on a long learning journey, been on a lots of courses and training since, and, and, and continue to do so. So, yeah, love what we do, um, love working. Uh, with anybody who's interested in developing and, and growing really perfect and one of the one of the things I was going to ask you quite early on so people so some people will have heard neuro-linguistic programming coming out of both of our mouths for the first time potentially yeah. and I always struggle to explain what it is in quite a concise sense because I know what it is to me which is essentially what it has been to me and one of the reasons I reached out to you earlier this year for us to have some coaching sessions was I was on a journey. I, I realized that I was on a journey and I was sort of driving this ship that I'd built this business and flagship and we were having some success, but I wasn't feeling, I wasn't feeling properly fulfilled or, or happy. I didn't really understand what made me happy. Um, and 
I, I sort of wanted some answers. And, and the way I explain NLP is around essentially remapping that programming that we have over the course of our life um, and just remapping that to realize we are in control. Um, there are things we can't control and understanding, helping us to understand ourselves a bit better and, and what, what makes us tick. I don't know if that's a good explanation or not, Bevis. Well, I, I, it's a funny thing because NLP is is, is uh, typically very hard to explain succinctly, which is why when we do our NLP practitioner course, one of the last questions we ask everybody is to do a succinct description of NLP, um, because then we borrow all the good ones. Um, oh, okay. Because <laughs> um, obviously our delegates often come up with better answers than we do. Um, so, but my own my own definition, if you like, is that NLP is a way of um, a way of helping you to focus on what you want consciously and unconsciously now because the challenges occur in life when we focus on what we don't want and, and if you think about I, was just, I think metaphors are great to explain things we know with our kids we wouldn't teach our kids to take a penalty in football by focusing on not missing yet people in their life go through life trying to lose weight get out of debt and avoid conflict and by doing so we put weight on, we attract debt and we end up in conflict because we get what we focus on. And, and so we do our best to, and of course, what happens is this isn't necessarily a conscious thing. It's a subconscious thing because if we're trying to avoid something, we attract what we don't want. Um, and drivers will know this. You don't want to go driving down the road by avoiding accidents. You want to drive focusing on having a smooth journey. <laughs> So, yeah, that we use a lot of metaphors to help people understand what NLP is about because it's it consciously it's easy to understand that. Well, actually, it's not that easy, but it consciously people get that concept relatively quickly. But the tricky bit is working on the unconscious mind so that we and that's the programming bit, letting go of some of our past conditioning, which might not even be us, might be our parents or might have been something the teacher said when we were a teenager, or might have been something, a negative experience we had in early work. It is, that's, the, that's the exciting bit, is, is getting this, that's actually, and, and to know, this the other challenge, to know what we want, we actually need to know a bit more about us. We need to learn a bit more about us. Yeah. Uh, Perfect. Before, before I dive into some of the answers, so I asked, uh, I asked a question in, in the groups, uh, what are the biggest challenge to the transport managers? What are the biggest challenges you face personally at work and in growing your business, career development and dealing with customers? But since I did that, and I've got all these comments, which we're going to share in a moment, uh, there was a great post went out on one of the transport manager forums yesterday, and I shan't quote who it was, and I can't remember it word for word, but I'll give it a good go. And his post was something along the lines of, I got kicked out today of a maintenance provider that I went to visit to chase paperwork and to watch them carry out one of our vehicle inspections. And ensued a load of comments from different transport managers around go, leaving that maintenance provider. They're obviously not very professional and going somewhere else. Uh, and other transport managers going, well, how did you approach that conversation? Um, what caused you to be pushed at, pushed aside? Uh, why isn't there any paperwork? And, and actually, it kind of links quite well with some of the comments that I've had I've had here as well. Initially, what what are your thoughts on that, Bevis? Around essentially, this this guy's gone in. He has got a responsibility to ensure that one, he's got maintenance records for his vehicles so that he knows that they're safe, and he's got an expectation on him that he will manage a maintenance provider which is a separate business um that he will manage them to ensure that they are carrying out thorough uh thorough vehicle inspections but at the same time whilst trying to inf enforce that i suppose it's enforcing the right word that potentially it's the, the that level of communication has gone gone awry somewhere at some point yeah it's it's a funny one because I mentioned I'd been on a bit of a journey and, and I mean, I, I had a management career before I got into coaching uh, and I got into coaching because the coaching then the training I'd experienced helped me overcome the challenges I'd had. And this would, this would have been one of my, this would have been one of my bugbears. So as a manager back in my management days, I would avoid conflict. Um, and I actually remember when I set my own business, having to have a conversation with somebody around the fact I hadn't received the service and I remember still getting nervous, even though I was a, and having some support and then getting through the side and going, actually, that was nowhere near as bad as I thought it would be because I'd grown and learned some new skills. So I think the first thing to accept is that 
is this word responsibility that actually what we tend to do if we're good at something and we do a good job if we then get a poor service from another company what immediately kicks in is this judgment of the other company or the other person and often also well they should be the, the should start kicking off in our mind I sh they should be doing this they should be doing x and and that frustration kicks off and what happens is we almost begin to lose our own responsibility for actually influencing that situation. So, because of course, one of the things we talk about uh, in NLP is when you go on holiday, whose responsibility is it to have a good time? And it's 100% our responsibility to have a good time, but we do know some people go on holiday and they come back and tell you about everything that's wrong about the holiday. So when we're, when we're, uh, when we're actually hiring somebody to do something, yes, they've got responsibility for delivering what they say they're going to deliver, but we've also got a responsibility in managing that relationship. And Stephen Covey um, in The Seven Habits of, of Highly Effective People talks about the circle of influence and circle of concern. There'll be some of the things that, that um, people have been posting, no doubt, that actually are things that concern them, they can't directly influence. And if something's a concern, you've got no influence it, you've got to let go of it because you're just beating yourself up by worrying about it. But if there is something you can directly influence, the challenge is, A, can we displace the judgment, let go of the judgment and, and make the phone call or go and have the visit? Because if we're frustrated and irritated going into that meeting, then we will, and often actually a lot of the time, especially us Brits, we tend to struggle with complaints and giving feedback. So if we get ourselves into a negative state before we actually have that meeting, then unfortunately, we're, we're already imagining it going wrong and we're already projecting the outcome before it starts. So we've got to kind of go and bright the way back to where we, where we started. What do we want the outcome of the meeting to be? What do, we, what do we actually want to happen? Do we want the outcome to be that we just say goodbye, sorry, or we're leaving and we're going to go to a different company? And if that's the outcome, just be at peace with that's the outcome. It's okay to do that. Or do we want the outcome to be actually that we stay with the company and that they commit to delivering the level of service and the level of paperwork that you would expect and have that healthy conversation? And there could be a third option that that is the desired outcome, but I'm prepared to leave if, if we don't get there. So it's about deciding actually what do I want the outcome of this mean to be and doing our best to let go of judgment and frustration before we go into the meeting. Um, that's for some people is easier said than done, but there are ways and means in which you can quieten the mind so that you're feeling more relaxed going into those meetings. Yeah, amazing, amazing. I think um, having a, I think, I think that's like really good, clear advice is to have the objective set for the meeting. What is the objective and what is the outcome that we're looking for? And that may be that there isn't an objective and outcome other than you get to improve your relationship with that person or find the level with them for example because sometimes uh or in my experience sometimes relationships can take time i used an example i i really i really cocked up once with the maintenance provider myself the first dealing i'd had with them i had an MO, a vehicle fairless mot and in in the transport sector if that happens and that hgv is listed on your operator's license then that information goes to the dvsa and it can affect what's called your operator compliance risk score so a negative uh, a failure like that could could be an indicator that your maintenance system isn't right okay and um one of the things I do is I then investigate them to ensure that we understand the root cause and we try to prevent that from occurring again. But I really like totally ham-fistedly cocked up this uh, interaction with this maintenance provider that I had because they are very conscious about making sure that they do a great job because that's what they do. You know, that's their living and everyone wants to do a good job, don't they? And um, I... I sent them over, we had this failure, first interaction I've gone, I need this failure sheet completing and understanding what went wrong, what you've done to correct it and what you've done to manage or train the individual, like this blame, shame and retrain kind of philosophy, sent it over uh, for, for them to complete and come back to me. And, and actually, I'm still working on repairing that relationship now. Um, uh, a little while longer. So I'd not really, I'd not really stopped and thought, I'd sort of seen as far as the action of completing this failure sheet rather than 
actually what's my long-term goal for this main my work with this maintenance provider and how can I best achieve that by preventing future failures and actually just sending a sheet over don't get me wrong the sheets are good activity to do um, and it's a good thing to do to ensure that it's recorded and demonstrate that you've investigated but the outcome isn't just to send that straight away it's to actually explore the relationship first before before sort of fulfilling those those needs is that yeah does that make sense <laughs> it does it does make sense it does make sense i think most most conflict in and this is why we we um we love the motivational maps which explain what motivates us in our career most conflict in business is is misaligned expectations uh, or misaligned values where we motivate in different ways so if somebody we've got an expectation of x and we're getting y then it's natural to feel a sense of frustration um, and being, and it's an interesting thing, this, because this actually plays into personal relationships as well, because often uh, in personal relationships, sometimes we have misaligned expectations. And, and if we don't communicate about those misaligned expectations and resentment builds up and the whole, re the, re there's resistance, resentment, rejection. So in the pattern of relationships, first we experience resistance, then we get resentment, and then ultimately end up with rejection. Now that is equally as applicable in personal relationships as it is in business. We can see that pattern both with whether it be a maintenance provider, whether it be a client, whatever business we're in really. So the key thing is at that point of resistance to be clear on what our expectation levels are and what our expectations are and be able to feel comfortable communicating about those expectations to make sure they're aligned. And if we do that without any judgment and come from a place of wanting to build a relationship. So it just means there's that great, another Stephen Covey quote, we all should be more personal in our professional life. So it's taking the care and attention with those business relationships. I remember, I remember doing something similar with a really important person in my business sending a really rushed email when I was stressed. And actually, weirdly, the wording of the email wasn't that bad, but the response I got was quite a negative response and it really shocked me because I just hadn't taken the time to give that relationship its due care and attention. So if we're a bit more personal in our professional life and on the flip side, can we be more professional in our personal life? If we've got a conversation we need to have at home, can we give that the due care and attention and create the time rather than, you know, we often have conversations whilst our partner's walking out the door. That, that's not going to work so well. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to jump into one of these comments. So if I if I go back that I asked on, on Facebook in a couple of the transport manager groups, transport managers, what are your biggest challenges that you face personally at work, whether it's growing your business, career development, dealing with customers, time management or managing drivers? Uh, potentially those suggestions might have influenced some of the answers um, this week i interview a very special guest who uh, has asked to, to sort of see how we can manage those those challenges and i draw to a comment first uh, which is a little bit down the page drivers are the greatest liability always have been always will be i say that with respect and as a driver myself nothing in the job can go as wrong as that which is contributed to by the driver's lack of ability or knowledge or perhaps willingness to carry out their role to the standard expected which in many cases is unknown to them and i feel for new transport managers who are fresh out the gate that's quite <laughs> yeah, wow. there's, there's quite a lot to go out there isn't there well, it, it, well, it absolutely. And, and um, looking back, you know, my old management days, obviously we used to recruit people. I actually was a, I, I was a business development manager for a chain and leisure centres. And we would recruit people at various different degrees, various different stages in the business. I remember one time we recruited a middle manager who had a first class honours degree. And he was working with people who had no very, very little educational experience. And, and there was a real misalignment in expectations. And he got very frustrated at what people couldn't do. And we had to sit down and have a conversation about well, what actually what what do we need? What are the minimum expectation levels? What are the what are the essentials that people need to be able to absolutely need to do to be able to do this job? And what are the desired? And I think listening to that feedback, there's a frustration about ability levels. And I think taking it right, we're stripping it right the way back and going, actually, let's have a look at this from a big picture perspective. Uh, and, and, and with a little bit of detail around what are what are the things that aren't in place that really absolutely have to be in place um i remember recruiting people when we were desperate 
and, and making some real mistakes. And if you recruit somebody that is not right, oh my God, that can cause real pain, real pain because you, you're storing up a problem for that. And I think in this environment, everybody can relate to what, what I'm talking about. So I think when we're desperate, we shouldn't just, re we, we really ought to make sure we hold accountable to some minimum standards. Um, and in, when I talk about minimum standards, often actually character traits, attitude is more important. There are some technical abilities that are required, but often they can be trained. Whereas if you're looking for character traits and attitudes, we found often if we had certain character traits that were almost essential, a willingness to learn and develop and grow, then you can, tr you can train somebody like that. Whereas you've got somebody who is stubborn, uh, resistant to change, um, not happy to communicate uh, when they're unhappy, then those are attitudes that we, you're going to struggle to work with. So I think I would say, get, let's, let's actually look at it. What are the minimum expectations and what are the desirables? What would we like to, and what can we then do about it? What training can we provide? Um, because the whole training and development world, as you and I both know, once you scratch the surface of it, there is so much there, so much available. Um, so I think when people are frustrated and worried and, and kind of annoyed by things, it just comes out as emotion and you can't see the wood for the trees. So if we're going to clear the wood, clear some of the debris, some of the emotion, actually, what are the minimum requirements we need? What training and development could we provide? And we might not know the answers immediately, but who can we get in to help support us find some of the solutions? Because there might be um, support that it, once, you, once you start thinking clearly about it, what, what help can we get in that area? Yeah. What training development support can we get? I think I think I think you've hit hit something really well on the head there, uh, which is around the minimum standards expected of drivers and starting to explore actually, rather than looking at competencies, looking at character traits. Uh, I don't know what a better word for that is or terminology, but essentially people's willingness to learn and desire to do a good job and be safe in their work. Uh, if you if you have people like that, they're they're then going to ensure that they learn and continue to carry out work as, as we expect or, or, or to meet those standards that we set. Um, the, the challenge is, like, like you've just said there, is actually in a situation in transport. And this is something that we need to talk about from a, uh, you know, we talked about influence and circles of concern and influence and, 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 and what we can do. We're facing a challenge as transport managers and as a sector of a major shortage of drivers. So we've then got a short, real shortage of resource. So we're all trying to get the best out of what is a, a, a small pond uh, of, of, of people. Um, and um, that, that presents challenges because essentially the, the commitment often from business owners who, who have invested in high, high cost capital equipment that needs to be moved to fulfill obligations to customers, that there's a there's the opportunity there to create that problem further down the line, like you say, by taking on people to carry out that work that don't meet those minimum standards. Yeah, Challenge. and I can it is, and it is, and I think that the whole circle of influence, circle of concern thing is. I mean, I I, I empathise with the industry. I empathise with the challenges, and there will be plenty of things that are just quite frankly out of people's control. And accepting that things are out of your control, not us <laughs> human beings, often we don't like things when they're out of our control, but accepting that they are, that actually there might not be anything that you can do about it will hopefully reduce the pressure and stress burden with people so they can just focus on what they can do. Yeah, perfect. Um, I, I made some mistakes when I used to recruit because I would recruit, because I liked recruitment, I would recruit further down the business. And I remember one of my um, assistant managers kick saying, look, you need to stop recruiting at this level because you're looking for people with a growth mindset who are growing and developing, and then they'll come along and then they'll be gone in six months. So I was actually looking for the wrong character traits. What we really needed in those roles was loyalty and commitment and perseverance. So actually slowing down to think, if weirdly, if we recruit on attitude and character, the pool might open up rather than diminish, because there might only be a tiny pool of people with the right qualifications and the right technical skills. But if we recruit on attitude and character, we might open the pool up a little bit 
to then provide the appropriate training to get people the skill set required. So they're just obviously just some thoughts, but I equally I empathise. There's plenty going on that's outside of people's control. Yeah. I think I think I think that's a great great suggestion, particularly for those larger companies who are looking to recruit and train people up to become drivers. That those would be the things you'd look to do, particularly if you're going to invest in training them. That you're looking for loyalty. Uh, and consistency from people brill hi it's pete from flagship partners we're really proud to sponsor a half dozen things podcast at flagship partners we take road safety really seriously and we're your road safety partnership we help transport companies with compliance and training across their businesses including first aid driver cpc and other transport management services so if your fours accredited or you want to improve your improve your operator compliance risk score give flagship partners a call today Right, I'm going to move on to another couple of comments, which which I thought linked quite nicely. One was, I work for a national company who's in, who in the past have ne- neglected the site I'm now running. And the biggest challenge for me is changing the staff's mindset and lifting moral, uh, I think, morale within the team. Uh, and then also just underneath it was always changing an owner's perception of what our duties entail and how we interpret them. So I think both of those come down to the ability to be able to communicate and, uh, and influence uh, like we were saying yeah I'll I think there's almost two in one there I think the um, first and foremost the whole thing around staff morale motivation yes. energy engagement um, again firstly to empathize the, the statistics on this across the globe are kind of incredible 90% of people on the planet are disengaged at work so so firstly it's okay to have a team that aren't as engaged as they could be let's not make it into a massive disaster that unfortunately is is kind of the norm but there are lots and lots and lots of things you can do about it all the all the evidence suggests that the more engaged the more motivated a workforce the more profitable the business the more happy the customers better staff retention etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's really worth focusing on motivation morale energy because it's not just a fluffy thing now, it's what actually drives business performance. And, and that's been proven with Gallup and Forbes doing the research over the years. Um, in terms of what you can do about it, well, actually understanding the people that work for us at a deeper level. I mean, it's a bit of a sweet spot for our business. Um, don't like to direct, directly plug too much, Pete, but, but we train motivational map coaches and consultants who go into businesses motivationally map a team of people so you can directly find out a how motivated the team is b how uh, each person feels that their work is meeting their needs which is kind of unique because you find out oh crikey this person's feeling great about their work oh and and this what we tend to find is at least 20 percent of the workforce are feeling unhappy about something and often the problem is that that isn't communicated either because the person doesn't feel confident enough to explain what's what's not right with them, or often because they don't actually know. Like when I was going through a career change, I didn't actually know why I I wasn't happy. And the motivational map often helps people to unpick what's what's not quite right for them in their career and gives managers solutions and an awareness of what they can do differently. Obviously, there's plenty of other tools out there, um, personality profiling, insights, Myers-Briggs, DISC, all of that delivers good stuff. Um, but the key thing is to do something. Often, when we look at these sorts of things, we see it as a cost. And really, we should see those sorts of things as an investment. If we can do something, that improves motivation and morale and energy by 10, 20%, often that the investment in that delivers way better results in terms of outputs and productivity. Um, so I think, yeah, again, when you scratch the surface in personal development and professional development, there's a lot in there and I'd be happy to have further conversations or, or point people in a direction if they want some support. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I'll just, Whilst we're, whilst we're on motivational maps, I'll advocate for motivational maps. They're certainly my my choice to go to when I've been building flagship partners. Uh, I all, all of our staff have had motivational maps prior um, at, at some point around the job offer for me to understand uh, better how I can motivate people, how 
in how essentially they they want to work and how they want to engage with the business so i can then i can then set targets around that i can set the job role and understand better how good a fit someone's going to be within the team um it's uh it's a really really useful tool and i actually pull i pull the map out i do a monthly one-to-one with each of my team and i pull the map out at the same time and i just refresh myself prior to that meeting because don't get me wrong we have the objectives, the business objectives, and we have personal development objectives and all of those things that we look at as I'm managing the team. But I also need to make sure that I speak and discuss things in a way that uh, is meaningful to the people that work for me and, and different people have different needs around how they work. Yeah, sure. I, I, absolutely. I mean, that's that's music to me. It's been, it, it, I think that's, that's an awesome. Um, and we just, the thing is, as a manager, we are doing the best with what we've got. So as a manager, I was motivated by freedom and meaning and innovation. So I gave, gave people a lot of freedom. Well, when I first did the motivational maps, I found out that five of the eight direct reports I was managing were motivated by security and stability and specialization and effectively the opposite to what motivated me. And I had to completely... I, w- I needed to give people a lot more direction than I was doing. So it's, it's it, whoever we're managing, we're not going to be in alignment with everybody we manage. And often it gives you that relief of, oh, crikey, now I understand how I need to approach this person or manage this person in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think because when you're unenlightened, I think the challenge is, is the you, you well, intend, well intended or, or with good intentions, you treat people as you want to be treated as the old adage is. But in reality, you don't want to treat people as you want to be treated. You want to treat people the way they need to be treated, which is what motivational map t- maps tells you. Very subtle, very subtle for people listening, but nonetheless. And, and the thing is, some people will be listening to this and going, oh, they're talking a lot about feelings and things like that. But actually, we're big emotional emotional beings that really are driven <laughs> driven pardon the pun they're driven by our emotions aren't we particularly at work yeah and i think that there's there's um there's we've two key things in play when we're when we're in the workplace one of them is energy what what drives us i mean this and and the other is personality um in terms of so i'm i'm a high perceiver and i like to do things last minute and my wife's a high judge and likes to be very organized and methodical that works perfectly together but um but equally it can also be the cause of frustration if you don't understand the differences and from an energy point of view there's emotional energy but there's also energy in terms of our values of what's important to us um and understanding that that nobody one of the great quotes from one of our mappers a, a chap called steve jones is a wonderful coach and consultant he's no he says nobody gets out of bed in the morning because of their personality they get out of the bed in the morning because of what motivates them so understanding what motivates people means we can top up their motivation by by having appropriate rewards in place somebody who's motivated by specialization and mastery would rather you spend money on some training for them than somebody who's motivated by build by competition achievement would rather the bonus and if we treat everybody the same we're not being fair that's that's the real light bulb. Oh, bloody hell! I'm, fairness isn't treating everybody the same. Fairness is understanding people at a different level and being able to meet their individual needs. And that doesn't need to be hard work. It just requires a little bit of awareness that we have. We may not currently have. Yeah, perfect, perfect. I think um, I think that's that's very true. I was just having a look at one of the other one of the other comments. It's quite a long comment, but I was just going to pick out the last couple of sentences. Also, sometimes the operators can think that laws and regulations aren't important if costing them money. I'm always the bearer of bad news or problems for them rather than just working together. That's, uh, (laughs) what's there to go out there, Bevis? Well, I love that. I mean, I once did some coaching with a lady who had the job of, of delivering staff satisfaction survey results to the senior management team. And she was off work with stress and she was off work with stress because she actually felt that her job had become meaningless and she was motivated by meaning and purpose. It was her most important preference. Um, And she did, she used to find it incredibly meaningful. She was getting to find out how people were thinking and feeling in the workplace. But over time, she began to feel like she wasn't being listened to and nothing was actually being done with the results, hence being off work with stress. So first things first, the clue is in the way that the, the message has been written. I'm always being the bearer of bad news. There isn't, and, and this is the subtle thing that NLP teaches us. 
there is no bad news. It's just news. There is no bad weather. It's just weather. So we, as a human being, we decide what actually what something means. And if we decide that it's bad news before we've delivered it, that already creates an internal feeling, an internal narrative. So you've almost projected the response before we've even started the meeting. So these are subtle things, but they're the subtle things that make a difference. Most people see the mind as a receiver. We receive information and then we make sense of it. And actually what we understand uh, from, from neuroscience is that the mind is actually more like a projector that we are projecting out our filters inside because we can only ever process 134 bits of information out of 2 billion. So what we begin to realize is that what we are seeing as reality is not reality. It's our project. And we know there's two football fans, Tottenham fan and Arsenal fan, very different response to the same game of football. So we know that we're projecting the outcome. So what we've got to start to do is strip this right back. And the same thing with giving feedback. If we've got some, some, a lot of our NLP conversations around how to give feedback or how to give constructive criticism. Well, if we see it as criticism, we might find it difficult. If we see it as feed forward, we feel more comfortable with it. So the first thing there is to go, actually, this isn't bad news. This is an opportunity to improve. And then we start to get into our language of, I mean, you, you've talked about the last webinar, the last podcast being around direct about influence. If we see it as an opportunity to improve our performance and all of a sudden the way it's received by the other person will be different. Because mm. I've often seen people go, starting with, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Ah, not such a great way. Yeah, not so because and then and from a scene I've worked with senior leaders and managers. What and when we when I worked with this lady around staff satisfaction, I actually got the opportunity to work with senior managers, and so I got to tie both ends of the spectrum. They were seeing things as people keep just keep giving us problems. People keep just giving us problems that we don't know the answer to. So what we need to do is start to position things as let's stop telling senior managers about the problem because they've got enough of them already let's and this is this is where people's careers really take off let's start positioning things as this is the situation what and what the here is what i believe the solution could be so it's, it's if we want greater influence we actually have to start taking a little bit more responsibility yeah that's uh, I, I just just sharing i i suppose when when i i started my personal development journey uh several years ago and it, it was at that point that I realized that essentially I'm responsible for everything that happens to me or they said obviously there are things there are events out of my control but I am responsible for how I manage and process and react to those things and then that then influences the outcome um I uh, I came across actually uh, we I had a guest speaker when I was uh, working for Volvo we had a guest speaker I've forgotten the chap's name now absolutely brilliant he was it will probably come to me later um, but he shared E plus R equals O so the event have you come across that event no, plus okay E plus R equals O so E is the event we yeah. can't influence an event an event is an event but we in the way that R we respond then puts the emphasis on the event, whether that be positive, negative, or, or what have you. So we, we are under influence of R, which is our response ability. So it's our ability to respond to the event, which then equals O, the outcome. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. And that literally, I think that's sort of fed through my mind for years and years and years over time. And obviously, something so simple, uh, such a simple concept but actually it's so far reaching and, and it takes time to really process, I suppose, and, and manage that, that concept and, and implement it as well. I love the way you describe that as responsibility, taking our ability to respond differently. And, and often these are subtle things that they're the subtle things that make a big difference that actually, if we just start to think differently about how we position things as a solution rather than a problem, and we take our responsibility to do that, then, then we might begin to notice that we start to get a more a different response from people in time. Because we almost have to, when we go through a change, we need to almost train others that that's the direction we're going in. Um, and, and yeah, and, and it, it, we just begin to notice subtle differences. And 
it's important for also to let ourselves off the hook that if we if we run some old patterns and we communicate in the way that we have in the past that's okay let's not beat ourselves up about that we just we're just growing and there's a great phrase in nlp everyone's doing the best they can with the resources they've got at the time and that lets us off the hook we don't have to be we don't have to perfection we just have to progress that's um and and so that that that, that resonates with my outlook in that i look at uh, a business so you know i i'm responsible we go back to the maintenance provider i'm responsible for their output but i totally believe that they're doing the best they can with the knowledge and and resources and everything they have available to them but that doesn't work for some people does it they they genuinely don't believe they don't believe that that's the case if if that makes sense am i yeah do i make it, sense no you do yeah because the, this conversation is one that directly comes up in our NLP courses. And when we do one day, we often go and do one day influencing workshops in business. Um, and people say, yeah, but they're not doing the best they can. And the thing is, it's, 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 a, it's a weird one. It's a, what we call a presupposition. It's a belief that may not necessarily be, be true, but if we take it on board, it helps us to communicate more clearly. Because if we believe that person A is doing the best they can with what they've got at the time, rather than judging them negatively, and to think about businesses, how often, if who gets the work in business? The people who are doing a bad job or the people who are doing a good job? People who are doing a good job get given more work and more work. The person who's not doing a good job gets less work and less work. And then you get imbalance and, and, and disgruntlement. Whereas if we look that this person who isn't doing a good job is doing the best they can with what they've got at the time, we look at, okay, how can I influence them differently? How can I train them differently? How is my communication with that person? What can I do to, to help improve that person improve performance? Now, there has to be a point also where you go, well, actually, I've done everything I can do. We need to look at exiting that relationship. But if we have that approach first, then often a lot of the things that we think are outside of our control, all of a sudden we've improved that person's performance or we've improved our relationship with that organisation, et cetera, et cetera. Amazing, amazing. Okay, Brill, I think um, we... Uh, his, 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 I, I don't really know where to go with this and I think it will lead on to our annoyance and frustration and, and, and the control that we're talking about. But one of the comments here was, operators and drivers who don't understand what is at stake for the company when you tell them you can't do that yeah yeah it, it, it's it's a tricky thing isn't it that, that often as human beings we want to help other people it's a natural innate drive we want to help other people and saying no doesn't always come comfortable <laughs> come comfortably to us I really struggle with saying no. I really struggle with it. So, so it's what actually happens is if we're a little bit uncomfortable with saying no, often we then subtly project that discomfort onto the other person. Um, so we say, even though we're saying no, we're kind of uncomfortable with saying no, and then we we start to believe that they're not they're uncomfortable with us saying no. If we're completely comfortable with it, then the, the, there's a great um, phrase. Um, from a, a, an author called Deepak Chopra who talks, so we need to detach from the outcome. So we need to say what we need to say and let go of the outcome of how the other responds. Because how the other person responds is their responsibility. We can only do what we can do. And if that means that we need to say no because it's the right thing to do, then we need to detach from how the other person takes it on board that information. Um, and, and it's because if we start accepting responsibility, so it's a subtle thing. We want to accept responsibility for how we influence, but we can't, we can't go around taking responsibility for how everybody, how everybody feels. We can influence their motivation and their energy, but we can't ultimately, you can't go around going, that per, how that person feels is my responsibility, how that because you'll go, you'll go insane. We've got to do what we can do and let go, let go of the outcome. Um, and that's not always tricky, not always easy to do. So, so A, congratulate yourself for, for saying no, because sometimes people really struggle with that. Um, and then just let go of how that information is received. Do your best to influence softly, keep learning, keep growing, but let go of it. So we all know that the best salespeople are those that, that actually just want to serve the customer and let go of the outcome, whether the sale happens or not. So can we take that message into all areas of our life and in the family as well? Because I know as a parent, 
sometimes sometimes saying no to my kids is a challenge but often it's the right thing to do perfect you heard it here first people stop people pleasing <laughs> i'm really bad for it really bad for wanting to people please and say well, that i think particularly it's really difficult some of these people that will have commented on on this here they're external transport managers so they're 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 small business operators they've got their own business and a lot of the time it's trying to find that middle ground where no is an answer um but trying to ensure that they retain retain business as well it can be it can be a a, a tricky thing because we're there to enforce but ultimately you you are 100 percent right we have to respond in the right way and no is an answer. No is an acceptable answer. And uh, we can't control if that person, you know, if the other person can't accept no as an answer or if they, uh, how they respond to that is that's their bag. Yeah. And sometimes as well, I think I can understand that when we feel like our own business is relying on how the other person responds, often we feel uncomfortable letting people know the circumstances behind the scenes, but why? If we explain that actually it's no because of X, Y, and Z, there might, that might be appropriate to actually let people know that the reason why we can't do something, because then we might notice that we get a softened response. So that's worth considering, actually, kind of let them know the reason why I can't say no. Because if we don't, people won't understand. They'll just, they'll just hear a no. Perfect. No, perfect. Uh, what, one of the final things I wanted to sort of explore with you, Bevis, was... And, and I need to hear it again as well, I suppose, is probably why I'm asking. But I, and I really love the analogy. So and I will be introducing new people to it as well. And that is the wall of shit and the tree of abundance. So I'm, I'm happy to frame that a little bit. So I went on when I first did an NLP discovery day with Bevis. We went outside. There's like a little garden with a, is it an apple tree? There's an yeah, apple tree. Right. Yeah. And then there's the wall of the of, of the building. And um we do an activity where you know trying to move away from the wall of shit towards the tree of abundance um do a better job of explaining it than i do (laughs) well i alluded to it's probably one of the things i'm most passionate about because i think everybody can relate to it um although i did once ask a lady what do you see on the on see over here in the apple tree she said an apple and i was like yeah spot on actually i haven't explained this properly so so what what i mean by this is if, if people think of their life in terms of health finances and relationships for just a period health finance relationships because typically those are three areas that are important so the best way i can explain this is probably linked to either weight or money so if we look at the wall of shit which is this way just and there's actually a shed that's a bit dilapidated behind me so it kind of works so here we are and and this is i don't want to be overweight so we enjoy christmas and as we all do and we eat loads and and Perhaps we keep eating loads and then, then we're, eating, we're finishing off the chocolates on about the 8th of January. And then it gets to about the 10th of January, go, we look in the mirror and go, oh, I was about to swear then. But No, you're um, fine. You're fine. You say what you like. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, fiddlestick. Um, I don't like what I'm seeing in the mirror. So we go, so we've almost, as time's gone on, we've, we've put weight on, we put weight on, we put weight on. We look in the mirror and go, oh, shit. And then the motivation spikes because we don't like what we see and we go, oh, then we feel, then it gets to March, mid-March, February, and we've lost the weight and we feel comfortable. But the problem is that we're still looking over here. Unconsciously, the image that we have is of a person who is overweight. And because we were trying to lose weight, we get what we focus on. And then, of course, what's happened, because we, we tried to lose weight, we've succeeded in losing weight, but actually the motivation disappears. And because the subconscious images of avoiding what we don't want, we then find ourselves putting weight back on again. And then we go, and then we repeat, oh shit, I feel uncomfortable again. Oh shit, I feel uncomfortable again. So in order to success, what I would say, would, and, and this is, sadly, this is a multi, and I watched my mum do it for years, who sadly passed now. Um, the weight loss industry is the biggest failed industry on the planet. Billions of pounds wasted lots of people's lives negatively affected by people trying to lose weight. I would say to anybody listening, never, ever, ever try and lose weight. Like stop, the, you may as well give up. I'd rather people gave up trying to lose weight and just enjoyed eating. And instead, let's turn around and focus over here on health. Because if you run a marathon, I guarantee you the weight will take care of itself. Now, I'm not saying that the solution is to run a marathon, but I'm saying that if we focus on health, 
on what that looks, sounds and feels like, we can gradually move towards health um, and, and make sense of what is health to me. Or whether maybe it's training twice a week or not every day, because you won't. Maybe it's, it's, eating, it's eating more fresh fruit. Whatever that is, let's move towards that. And same with weight. Over here, I want to get out of debt. I'm, I'm comfortable financially focusing on getting out of debt. Oh, I'm out of debt. And the pattern repeats, as opposed to what does abundance look like? What does and abundance is is just what it means to each person. Um, if you're a million, if you're a millionaire, if you're a footballer, abundance is going to look very different to somebody who's employed and earning twenty five grand a year. But it's still the same concept. It's just moving towards what we want, um, as opposed to avoiding what we don't want. So hopefully that makes some sense. Um, it's absolutely brilliant, absolutely perfect sense. And I'm going to re-explain it in transport manager terms, which is. The wall of shit is you standing in front of the traffic commissioner losing your repute because you've had a transport customer or you've had a you've had a customer who's been doing the wrong things or you've not been keeping up with your obligations and that's the wall of shit or on the other side is amazing performance safety performance and meeting all the obligations that you've promised to meet and aiming for what great looks like so focus on what's great move towards what's great and deal with the things that aren't rather than focusing on staying out of trouble, because that's essentially where you'll end up getting drawn, is my interpretation. And, and the thing is, I love that, that, because the danger of dealing with shit all the time is when you've dealt with all the shit, how do you feel? Do you feel knackered? Yeah. Like, oh, now I need to go and relax. And that's where the, because it's like, it, it, it creates anxiety, it creates worry. Whereas if we're going on, actually, what would an, an amazing year look like? What would an amazing month look like? And if you fail to get there, which is recommended, I, I'm, I would love everybody to be failing to achieve high aspirations. Because you get 70% of the way there, you've made progress. And actually, you've broken free of some of this cycle of only ever getting to a place where you're comfortable, which is what most people are doing. They just rebound from uncomfortable to comfortable, never noticing what's beyond that. Amazing. Amazing. Bevis. I really appreciate you taking some time out to speak to me. It's flown by as well. I don't really know where an hour's gone. It's just incredible. <laughs> um, just for the listeners, where do they find you? Where do they find your work? How do they connect with you, Bevis? So more than happy to be able to connect on social media with me. Um, web, our website is Magenta Coaching Solutions. So you'll find lots of resources on Magenta Coaching Solutions. Um, if people are interested in NLP, we offer a, a 1999 free webinar series. So people can kind of dip their toe into that. Um, equally as you did, you can come along to a one day in person intro day. And, and if people want to email me, Bevis at Magenta CS.co.uk. So I'm more than happy to connect with people. Um, I won't always get back to people immediately, but I will always come back to people. So, yeah, we're, we're a company that's here to help people. And, um, and yeah, and with the nice thing, I think, over the years is we've, we've seen people's careers take off and evolve. And, and there's nothing I enjoy more than walk, watching people go from early inquiry stage to then career changes or, or just hearing about the progress that they're making. So, um, and thank you for inviting me on. I've really enjoyed it. Like I say, the hour, I can't believe it's one o'clock. Where, where did the time go? <laughs> I know, it's, it's nuts, isn't it? So, um, brilliant. Bevis, thank you so much. It's been really different to my usual type of podcast and it's been really different in an amazing way and i really hope that people have got value out of listening to it and uh, will start to think about their own personal development as well um if you've listened if you've enjoyed it please do share it with your friends and uh yeah catch you again next time take care thanks Pete. i really hope you loved today's episode and if you did please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too please do share it across your social media channels we hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me, my name's Pete Rushmer. You'll find me across any social media channel and my business, Flagship Partners, and we're your partners in success across your business. Thank you. See you again soon.